Hello and welcome to the Weekend Wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and I hope you have had a lovely weekend wherever you may be right around Australia. Of course, there's been lots of news and lots of things happen since the Week on Wednesday episode with myself and Van and we're going to get into a few of those issues right now. So the first thing I want to talk about tonight is Tim Payne. Tim Payne, now former Australian cricket captain, has resigned as captain of the Australian cricket team due to a series of sexual texts that he sent to a colleague, uh, someone who worked for Cricket Australia back in 2017. Now, there was an investigation at that time that found he had not breached the code of conduct. He is, however, a married man and the behaviour was obviously inappropriate. He has resigned because that behaviour was about to be made public and was about to come to light. Cricket Australia's new chair says that he wouldn't have made Tim Payne captain. Uh, Of course, Cricket Australia's chair was aware of these uh, behaviours while Tim Payne was captain, didn't make him resign. But anyway says now that he wouldn't have made him captain, obviously inherit him as captain. Liz Ellis, the uh, famous Australian sportswoman Liz Ellis, uh, has questioned the decision to allow Tim Payne to be captain for this period of time and, of course, has expressed concern for Tim's wife and family who have themselves come out today and talked about how difficult uh, and horrible this whole situation has been for them. Now, Tim Payne has resigned as captain of the Australian cricket team because he was involved in a sex scandal, because his behaviour did not meet the standards of leadership required to captain the Australian cricket team. And most people seem to think that he's done the right thing, albeit somewhat later than perhaps he should have. But now that it's coming out into the public light, it's untenable for him to continue on as captain and he has resigned. I want to compare and contrast that to a situation with a federal member of cabinet, Alan Tudge. And you've heard me talk about Alan Tudge before. And why do I keep talking about Alan Tudge? Because Alan Tudge is the Federal Education Minister, a member of the Morrison Cabinet. And in 2017, around the same time as Tim Payne was involved in his unacceptable behaviour, unacceptable sexual behaviour, Alan Tudge was having an affair with a member of his staff. Uh, um, This staff member was then moved from Alan Tudge's office to Michaelia Cash's office and made redundant six months later. The staff member in question has lodged a complaint. The internal complaint process has been concluded due to a lack of evidence, but there's still external avenues being pursued as well. Alan Tudge's situation was revealed in a Four Corners investigation last year. Since that investigation, within a month of the Four Corners investigation, Alan Tudge was promoted to Education Minister. 
he was promoted. Now, some education ministers might just sit around and wait, see out their term, administer the department, not really necessarily pushing the boundaries. Not Alan Tudge. Alan Tudge who campaigned against marriage equality while conducting an affair with a member of his staff, Alan Tudge, who has very publicly had to apologise for that affair, Alan Tudge, who then moved the woman who was the partner in the affair into another political office, the office of Michaelia Cash, the same office that Brittany Higgins was moved into before she too ended her career as a political staffer, This Alan Tudge has seen fit to lecture Australian educators about Australian values, about promoting the concepts of what makes Australia great. He has done that despite the fact that he is not embodying the values of Australian leadership. And Tim Payne's decision to step away as captain of the Australian cricket team stands in stark contrast to the behaviour of Alan Tudge. It's unfathomable to me that someone who campaigned against marriage equality, who conducted an affair with a member of his staff, who then shunted that staff member into somebody else's office, who then made them redundant, was not only allowed to continue to hold a cabinet position, but was in fact promoted within cabinet. And is now lecturing other people on Australian values and Australian leadership and what it means. And he is protected and supported by Scott Morrison, who gave him the promotion. The same Scott Morrison who claims to be a Christian, who makes all these claims about his Christian values, about his faith, about how that informs his decision-making, his policy-making. And you can look at the way he treats the disadvantaged, the vulnerable, the poor, and question how that aligns to the Christian values in the Gospels. But even more so, you might say, well, he's an Old Testament Christian. He's got a prosperity doctrine type of Christianity. Not one that I adhere to, but let's say that's got Morrison's bag. Well, it's still very clear there. There's no point in any Christian teaching that condones having an affair and promoting and protecting those men who behave in that way. It's such a stark contrast. Here's Tim Payne tearfully giving up the captaincy of the Australian cricket team, saying that his behaviour did not meet the standards required to be a leader of the Australian cricket team. And on the other hand, you've got Scott Morrison promoting someone who's engaged in what is actually worse behaviour. As bad as Tim Payne's behaviour appears to have been, there doesn't appear to have been any physical consummation of that behaviour, whereas in the case of Alan Tudge, that's not in dispute. That's not in dispute. This is a really stark moment, in my view, about the nature of leadership in Australia and about the nature of our politics. There's a lot of noise, and we'll talk about some of the noise in our politics shortly, 
But the Tim Payne scandal immediately struck me, immediately struck me that we as a society will accept behaviour from our ministers, the people who run our governments, the people who determine the education curriculum that our children learn, that we would not accept from the person whose job it is to captain our cricket team. Now, I'm not saying we should accept Tim Payne's behaviour. I think he was resigned, and I share Liz Ellis's view that perhaps it should have happened quite a bit earlier. What I'm saying is Alan Tudge's behaviour is unacceptable, and Scott Morrison's protection of Alan Tudge is a blight on both those men and the government that they're part of. I'd really encourage people to have a think about how we allow the Morrison government to get away with things that we would not accept from our cricket team. If we wouldn't accept it from 11 people whose job it is to whack a ball around a field with a piece of wood for five days, why would we accept it from people who are spending billions of dollars of our money and determining the things that are taught to our children? I don't think we should. Also this week, we've seen Australian wages go backwards once again. Inflation is at 3%, wage growth a measly 2.2%. It's interesting to note at this point, yet another reason to join your union is that there is a 32% premium for union members. Union members make on average $350 a week more doing the same work as someone who's not in the union. That's because union workplaces negotiate better outcomes, better wages, better conditions, better job security. So join your union, australianunions.org.au slash wow, W-O-W for week on Wednesday. Join your union today. There is literally $350 a week on average sitting on the table waiting for you to become a member and get organized. Because let me tell you, according to Jim Chalmers on Insiders Today, wages have gone backwards in real terms $700 over the last 12 months, while petrol prices have gone up $900. On that one expense alone, you are behind $200 a year just on that one expense alone. That's before the increases in childcare, the increases in food costs, the increases in electricity. So Scott Morrison wants to have the election be about the economy. He's made that pretty clear now. He wants to talk about the economy and petrol prices and interest rates and cost of living. Well, after eight years of Morrison and the Liberals driving down wages and letting prices creep up, It's very, very clear, very, very clear. You need to be in your union to get the protection, to lift your wages, to get that job security going. But also, we've got to get rid of the Morrison government, quite aside from the moral and ethical problems that this government is racked with, as I've just discussed, just on the pure economics of it. Cost of living is going up, wages are going down. If you want to see your wages go up, You've got to get rid of the Morrison government. It's very, very straightforward. And look, we're going to go into the final sitting fortnight Monday, Tuesday. The next two weeks is the final sitting fortnight. The things that Morrison has promised that he will not deliver include a federal ICAC. 
There's no legislation being put forward to make that a reality. There is, however, a great push to try and get the Religious Discrimination Act up and running. This, of course, is the bill that will allow people to sack people uh, from particularly religious schools, hospitals, institutions that claim to have a religious uh, positioning. Now, there's been lots of debate around this. There are splits within the Liberal Party who say it doesn't go far enough because it doesn't protect people who want to say outrageously homophobic and bigoted things and then claim some kind of religious protection for that. Uh, At the same time, at the other end of the spectrum, there are people saying you're actually going to make it easier for people to be sacked. Um, simply for who they are and who they love, which has no impact on their ability to be a teacher or a doctor or whatever it might be. Uh, So this is a deeply divisive bill. It is, however, very important to the Morrison backers. And of course, this final sitting fortnight uh, happens in the context of an election likely to be called early next year. So there won't be many opportunities for them to pass this legislation in 2022. It will be interesting to see what happens in this fortnight. Uh, Anthony Albanese has offered to debate Scott Morrison every day of the sitting fortnight on any topic that he likes and to use the structure of parliament to do that. It's an interesting tactic. It's an interesting tactic. I don't think Scott Morrison will take him up on it. It kind of gives away many of the advantages that he enjoys as prime minister with a working majority in the House. The House will also have to appoint a new speaker this fortnight because the current speaker has resigned and officially his last days on Tuesday. So there'll be a lot of pomp and ceremony and process things associated with that. I think Morrison is just basically going to try and play out the next two weeks. Uh, and I, you know, for him, it's all downside, right? If he debates Albanese and Albanese does well, then he looks bad. If he beats Albanese in a parliamentary debate, well, it's just in the context of parliament. Not many people will be watching. There will be some assumptions built into that. So, I mean, I hope he does. I think now's the time as a nation to use the parliament to have debates around these issues. We know job insecurity is at record levels. We know more Australians than ever before are working multiple jobs just to make ends meet. We know there are 200,000 Australians, predominantly women, who want to work but can't because they can't access care for their children or their, their disabled relative or for an elderly relative. There are lots of issues for us to be discussing around the NDIS and childcare and how we remunerate people properly. And of course, we're seeing this fortnight probably a big push to try and increase the number of temporary migrant workers just when Australians are starting to feel like maybe they've got some bargaining power because there aren't large numbers of temporary migrant workers who are more exploitable and don't have necessarily the whole framework of family and community and are therefore able to be given a shift at 11pm tonight to take up at 7am tomorrow morning. And that's part of, I think, the the what should be debated in Parliament. There should be this opportunity. And I think it's brave of Albo to put it out there. There is a lot of upside for him, obviously, if he goes if Morrison takes this up and it goes well, it looks good for him. And I think the reality is Morrison doesn't have an answer to many of these questions. 
You know, hospitality and agriculture and other industries have been so reliant on temporary migrant labor for so long that the concept that your workers would need some stability, some regular hours, some flexibility on their side because they've got caring responsibilities or they're in community groups or they're part of a community just doesn't occur to them. So they want that easy to exploit, low maintenance workforce that's just going to do as they're told, just going to accept the pay that's on offer rather than a workforce that says, well, actually, I have a family to look after. I have responsibilities I need to take care of. I need some regularity. I need more than just the minimum wage or in some cases below minimum wage. And yet Morrison's not really got an answer to that. He's not got any kind of answer to that conundrum, that systemic issue. He's just going to hope that he'll get more temporary migrants to fill the gap and those Australians who want work will fall through the gaps uh, and we'll all sort of forget about it. And my hope is, of course, that we don't. And there's lots of voices out there saying this is not good enough. And it'd be good to have an election based on real economy needs, right? Like actually what the economy is built on is the labor of people, it's investment decisions, it's how we interact with each other. That's the economy. Uh, And if we're going to have an election about the economy, let's have it about how the economy is structured. Is it structured to meet the needs of people or is it just structured to make it very easy to create rosters uh, because students from overseas don't have any commitments, they don't have any responsibilities, and they'll do as they're told and take the pay that's on offer and be grateful for it. Hopefully, Elbow gets to have that debate this week, but we'll wait and see. Of course, this week, we've also seen an attack on Animal Justice Party MP Andy Medic's daughter. Uh, Andy Medic has said that he believes this to be politically motivated. He has, of course, been threatened with his life numerous times over the last few weeks in regards to Victoria's pandemic bill, which, again, is more transparent, more accountable, less oppressive, in inverted commas, than what's in place in New South Wales uh, and improves the democratic accountability over what's already in place in Victoria. Yet, of course, Craig Kelly and the QAnon crew have riled people up. We've seen death threats levied against the Premier of Victoria, death threats levied against MPs in Queensland, as Queensland now is moving towards having 80% and reopening and lifting some of the protections, but having in place particular protections and mandates around vaccines, vaccination and vaccination certificates. And this, of course, has occurred in the context of a globally coordinated series of protests. It was reported in the ABC that yesterday, uh, Saturday, the 20th of November, was a day of global action. And we saw that. We saw that in Holland. We've seen that in other parts of Europe. And we've saw that in parts of America as well, where there were protests, people flying flags, which are predominantly associated with far-right groups, people uh, spouting far-right ideology. Once again, people marching with nooses and gallows, people making threats against elected officials. These are not representative of the vast majority of people. Uh, The latest polling from Victoria shows that Dan Andrews enjoys about a 60% uh, approval rating. And on a two-party preferred basis, uh, 
the Victorian Labor Party would be re-elected if an election had been held yesterday, would have been re-elected with an increased majority. An increased majority. Keeping in mind that the last election was a landslide to Labor, they would have picked up another seven seats, leaving the Liberal National Coalition in Victoria with a bare rump of a political movement. And that's the context. That's the context of what's going on. Those processes are working their way through the system, but it's interesting that they're not protesting really against the government in Sydney. They're not really protesting against the government in Canberra. There has been some some, uh, mention of Morrison, but these people are from the far right. We can't deny this. They can deny it as much as they like, but we have to be realistic about what's going on here. These people uh, are predominantly influenced by a global network of far-right and fascist organisations, movements and individuals. And they can say as much as they like that they're not Nazis. That's fine. I'm not calling them Nazis. I'm saying that they are influenced by far-right and fascist individuals, organisations and movements because they are. And you don't have to have a swastika tattooed on your forehead to be a fascist. Uh, You don't have to be a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white man with a crew cut to be a totalitarian. Idi Amin was very, very much a totalitarian. He was also a man of color. Uh, Saddam Hussein claimed to be a Muslim. There is no question that you can be a totalitarian uh, and not necessarily be covered in swastika tattoos. Vladimir Putin would undoubtedly decry Nazism as the greatest threat that Russia ever faced. Yet Vladimir Putin is, in effect, the dictator of Russia. There is no question that fascism is resurgent, far-right ideologies are resurgent. And they are, they are occupying the streets and threatening our democratically elected members of parliament. Andy Medic is from a political party that I don't particularly support. I've never voted for the Animal Justice Party. I probably never will. But his daughter was attacked, was attacked at night in the street by a man who approached her uninvited, unwanted, unsolicited, approached her in an aggressive way. A confrontation ensued. She was left attending hospital. These are the actions of people who don't believe in democracy. They don't believe in democracy. So while they claim to be all about freedom and they claim to be about protecting democracy, the grim reality is, friends, that these people want the rule of the minority over the majority. It's just that for them, the minority is them. It's a minority of one. It's a minority of them as an individual. It's got nothing to do with individual choices that we might all make in a society governed by rules and structures. They don't like being told what to do. They like to tell other people what to do. And that's where QAnon, the far right, 
these sorts of global networks come into play because they give comfort and refuge to people who don't want to be told what to do. And now we've seen Scott Morrison pivot his language to try and accommodate them, trying to build an electoral base out of these people by saying things like, people have had enough of government telling them what to do. It's time for government to step back out of people's lives. Well, I think the reality is for the vast majority of people, certainly the latest polling in Victoria, certainly the nationwide polling suggests actually We want constructive government in our lives. We want government that creates jobs, government that lifts wages, government that provides childcare and healthcare and good, workable, sensible public health policies. The Morrison government hasn't delivered on any of those things. So in desperation, it's moving to a no government is good government, can do capitalism type frame. Hopefully that will fail. The vocal, vocal minority who are marching as part of coordinated global protests would like that to succeed, but hopefully it will fail. This week, Van and I will be doing the week on Wednesday together from our home. Thank you very much. We're very pleased about that. And next week... For the weekend wrap, I will be in Sydney. That's right. I'm taking the weekend wrap on the road. So you will be able to listen to me do this from Sydney. Hopefully the sound quality is okay. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened to the week on Wednesday and the weekend wrap. We really enjoy and thankful for all of your support. You continue to make the show a great success. Please do like, share and comment on this episode and every episode. It's always heartwarming to hear from people who have joined their union or got more involved as a result. Remember, there is a $350 a week, $350 a week difference between being a member and not being a member. That's money in your pocket, money in your pocket. Union members raise wages. Union members make more money. Union members get more secure work. So join australianunions.org.au slash wow. Also, don't forget to check out our good friends over at On The Job, the podcast with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. They have interviewed, very recently interviewed Van Badham about her new book, Q and On and On, a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults. Cannot recommend it more highly. Great book, fantastic launch this week, but hopefully that episode will be coming out shortly as well. So... Wherever you are around Australia, please do enjoy the rest of your weekend and remember to be kind to yourself and to each other.